What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. This Founders Day, we are beginning a new series for September on harmony. Many folks in our church have asked me, how do we get back to the church we used to be? How do we have that community and unity we used to have? And though there's no way to get back to the past, we can certainly strive to be our best selves today. And working together has to be a central part of that. So the next several weeks, we will spend looking at how to have harmony for people out of tune with life. We start with a scripture from Luke the Evangelist. We are, uh, when we are looking for harmony in our lives, there's no better place to look than to the words of Jesus. This scripture will be read by Eric. Jesus was asked by the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. So Jesus shares with them the Lord's Prayer, emphasizing God's kingdom and forgiveness. But the prayer ends with a cryptic line, which is different from the Lord's Prayer you may have memorized and we recite each week. It ends with, and do not bring us to the time of trial. There's a struggle. There's discord up ahead. Jesus follows this prayer with these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 15, uh, 5 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything out of friendship, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and a door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, would give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asked for an egg, would give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And from Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we reflect on these words. God, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts and minds as we seek harmony in our lives. Unite us together build this community, and teach us how to stay committed to the task you have for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If there's anywhere where we see division the most these days, it's in politics and religion. Uh, there's a story of a young pastor who had a serious problem in his new congregation. Every Sunday, when they would get to the time of prayer, half the congregation remained seated, and the other half would stand up. 
It wouldn't take long before the two sides were shouting at each other right there in church as they were trying to pray. So in desperation, the young pastor went to the church's 99-year-old founder. He met him at his nursing home and poured out his troubles. So tell me, he pleaded, was the tradition for the congregation to stand during the prayers? No, said the old pastor. Oh, then it was the tradition to sit during the prayers. No, answered the pastor again. Well, responded the young troubled pastor, what we have is complete chaos. Half the people stand and, and shout and the other half sits and screams. Ah, said the founder, that was the tradition. <laughs> now it might seem like the tradition of churches all over is to disagree with one another. Even our church can find itself on different sides of an issue. Over the last couple of weeks, we invited folks here at Grace to take a, a minute to fill in a quick survey about our worship service. It just had a scale of one to five, totally disagree to completely agree. And you can see the results for yourself in the back. In, and in a lot of areas, people had agreement. Sometimes, though, folks answered in completely different ways, even compared to their friends they sit next to. It seems disagreement is inevitable. The world might judge the church harshly for our differences, but we know it's not any better out there either. One study in the workplace of hundreds of managers said 98% had experienced incivility at work. And the study also showed that 2% of managers didn't know what the word incivility meant, uh, but the consequences of this kind of conflict is clear. About half said it decreased their work effort. Another half said it made them spend less time at work. Something like 80% of them said it made them work less because they were worried over the incident. And then there's the 10 to 15% of folks who leave or quit because of this poor treatment. Disunity, unresolved conflicts, and incivility have real-life consequences. I think about my two sons. Most of the time they are best friends and it's great to see them laughing and playing together. Uh, but every once in a while something happens where they are at odds with each other. Uh, it's usually because they want the same toy or to play a video game and have to take turns. Uh, and we keep warning them, there is no relationship in this world you will have longer than the one with your sibling. Not mom and dad not even your children, this relationship is the most important one. So make sure you deal with these small problems so they don't turn into big ones down the road. We don't want them to wind up estranged like some families do. The consequences of disunity can be big or small, but there's always a price to pay when we can't work together. The story Jesus tells of the man who needed some bread reminds us how important this unity can be. But it also tells us something about how to get there. Jesus' story begins with a man who has a neighbor that comes to him in the middle of the night asking for three loaves of bread. That might seem like a strange start to a story for us. How important could a few loaves of bread be? But imagine you're in a small town in ancient Israel. The man isn't just asking for bread because he's hungry. He needs it to feed a friend who has traveled to stay with him and has arrived in the middle of the night. Custom demanded of him that he serve a fresh, unbroken loaf of bread to his visiting friend, but he doesn't have any. 
Imagine the inconvenience of a friend arriving earlier than expected. I get flustered when someone shows up five minutes earlier than they're supposed to because I'm always in the middle of vacuuming. Uh, but imagine your guests show up the night before they're supposed to. That's really going to mess up the schedule, right? When he asks for some spare bread from his neighbor, the neighbor says, look, everyone is asleep in bed. Go away. Back then, this would have been a one-room home. Uh, everyone would be asleep, and the children would have mats that would, would lay on, right there on the floor. Uh, for the man to get out of his bed, walk across the room, and slide the heavy metal bar keeping the door locked, it would have woken everyone up. So he says, no, I'm not going to help you. Let us sleep. But the man with the visiting friend, if he keeps knocking, Jesus says because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. If the man were pounding on the door asking for bread, it would have woken his children up. That's certainly one way to win an argument, right? Everyone's asleep. I'll just wake them up so you can't use that as an argument anymore. He's clever, sure, but the more interesting thing to me in this story is how Jesus says that it's persistence that gets what the man wants. And persistence matters. That's an important skill and one I hope my own children learn, but it's not persistence per se that Jesus is commending. The King James Bible says it's importunity, a word we don't use anymore. The Greek is anaideon. It means something like boldness or shamelessness. You can be persistent at something, but sometimes shame will stop you from continuing. Jesus is commending people who keep going even when others might see their acts as shameful. He's saying, keep going in such a way that even shame won't stop you from doing the right thing. Remember, in biblical times, the expectation is that the host provides specifically a whole unbroken loaf of bread. Now, when someone shows up to your door in the middle of the night, how likely is it that you have a full, uneaten loaf of bread just sitting around? Not likely, right? When you have warm, delicious, fresh-out-of-the-oven bread, you eat it. And it is a good thing that we're celebrating Founders Day after this service because I am getting hungry right now. It's a good thing we have food for you. Jesus is reminding his audience to keep pursuing what you want in a specific way with no regard to what the people around you might think of it. Now that can get messy quickly, so let me be clear. When I say pursuing what you want, I don't mean literally anything you want. And when I say no regard to the people around you, I don't mean you can just do whatever to whoever and not think about the consequences. What I mean is that when we are at our best, pursuing the very best of what God has for ourselves and for others, our goals are not just our own. These are the goals that come from God. When we pursue the best version of ourselves and work to benefit as many people as possible, we are on the right track. And that is when God wants us to be relentless in our pursuit of what the Lord has for us. You might even say we should be shameless about it. It does not matter how other people feel about you when you are pursuing the goals of God. Keep at it. Keep going. 
But you might ask, what if someone thinks what I'm doing is strange? What if they don't, they don't think like me? What if they disagree with me? That's not the point. When the goal is clear, don't be taken off course by others. Be shameless. But of course, that doesn't mean you can just ignore other people or bulldoze them when, when you disagree. No, the scriptures are clear on this point too. Romans 12 talks about the marks of a true Christian. Love genuinely. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. If someone disagrees with you, keep at it. Not by being mean, not by asserting your rights or privileges. No, you keep pursuing God's goals with humility, with care and love for others, by thinking of others as you pursue God because other people are a part of God's goals for you. Now, this isn't the end of the passage from Jesus on perseverance and shamelessness. He goes on to say, when you ask, you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. Jesus isn't saying you'll get every wish you make and every door will be automatically open for you. No, that's ridiculous. He is saying, when your life is aligned with God, asking for the things that God has for you, and you pursue it with everything in you, then you will get what you desire. You'll get God's will at work in your life. That's why the passage ends not with all the miracles in the world and every wish being granted, but with this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is God's beautiful and wonderful gift to us? It is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that reveals to us better than we could ever understand what God's will really is. The Holy Spirit that breaks down walls between us and others, the Holy Spirit that makes loving others, even our enemies, possible where before it looked impossible. Our pursuit should not be of our own personal goals, it should be God's Holy Spirit that makes a way where before there was no way. Okay, great. We should have more of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings life, and it will unite a fractured community together. But how do we get that? How do we have more of God's Spirit so we can clearly see the difference between our own selfish ambitions and the things of God? We'll look at the context of this passage. A disciple of Jesus had asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer, and then he tells them to be persistent in pursuing the Holy Spirit, even if they look weird to others while doing it. The way to put God at the center of your life and to make sure what you are pursuing is God's goals and not your own is to be in prayer. Talk with God. Keep talking with God. Keep listening for God's voice in a situation and how you can respond with grace and love instead of selfishness. 
Now, I know there are plenty of people in this church that think just because I want something doesn't make me selfish. And that's true. Desires don't make us selfish. But if you pursue what you want to the detriment of the community, you've missed the will of God. Naturally, I am a part of a lot of church meetings, and you'd think church meetings must be really nice, delightful, lovey-dovey affairs. Well, you'd be wrong about that. I've gone into meetings thinking, this is it. This is going to break the church because we are all just people trying to make it work, trying to do the best that we can. And we don't always see eye to eye. But how beautiful it is when the first thing that we do is pray together asking for God's Holy Spirit. And as we work through a problem, we aren't rude to each other. Instead, we listen closely and weigh carefully each position. How many times have I gone to a meeting thinking there was only one right answer, and somehow the Holy Spirit is at work, and all of us together come up with something far better than what any one of us could have come up with? That's prayer. That's listening for the Holy Spirit of God that is at work in our lives when we let it. And it's the one surefire way of finding harmony in the church. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God's spirit at work among us. The same can be true for you in whatever situation you face. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a famous theologian who lived during World War II. He was famous for encouraging Christians to show grace to everyone, not flippantly, but through steady, deep discipleship. As we become more like Christ, he would say we are more in tune with one another. He says, many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of the death of a spiritual life. And in the end, there is nothing left but spiritual chatter. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be left with spiritual chatter. I don't want to use religious language with friends and family, but be devoid of true, genuine love for them. The clear first step is to listen. Listen to God in your prayer time, that you might know God's will for your life, and listen to those around you so that what you say and do might be a reflection not of you, not of what you want for them, but of God's will. Be a conduit for the Holy Spirit at work in and through you. The whole point of the Lord's Prayer to begin with is, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's about God, not about us. Once you can make that flip from a self-centered life to a God-centered and other-centered life, that's when things change. Our shameless pursuit of the things of God can lead to answered prayer and open doors. It's not the doors we would have opened. It's the ones God has for us. So let's walk through them. 
Let's end with this. Uh, there were once two brothers who lived on two farms that were right next to each other. They ran into some problems, though. They had a fight. It was their first big fight after 40 years of farming side by side. They had shared machinery, labor, food, all without a hitch. Then it fell apart in a moment. A misunderstanding became a major difference, followed up by bitter words and then weeks of silence. One morning, there was a knock on the oldest brother's door. He opened it to find a man with a carpenter's box. I'm looking for a few days of work, he said. Perhaps you would have a few small jobs here and there. Could I help you? Yes, said the older brother. I do have a job for you. Look across the creek at that farm. That's my neighbor, who is my younger brother, and we don't get along. A couple of weeks ago, he tried to widen the water coming into his farm, but he made it so wide it created problems on my farm. I am sure he did it to spite me. I want you to build something so I don't have to see his face when I look over toward his farm. The carpenter said, I get it. I think I can do something you'll like. The older brother helped the carpenter get the supplies and then took the day off. The carpenter worked hard measuring, sawing, and nailing. At sunset, when the older brother came outside, the carpenter had just finished the job. The older brother's eyes went wide and his jaw dropped. It wasn't at all what he had expected. It was a bridge stretching from one side of the creek to the other. It was smooth and beautiful, and to his surprise, his younger brother, who was on the other side, was coming to meet him with a big smile and arms wide to give him a hug. You are a wonderful brother, the younger brother said. After all I've done and said, you did this for me, I am truly sorry for my behavior. He hugged his older brother, and both were in awe of the work of the carpenter. You know, the Holy Spirit is like that carpenter, unexpectedly building bridges to connect us together. Real harmony in the church, in our families, and in all the relationships we have happens when we set aside our own goals and let the Spirit work. As we begin a new season in the church, a new season in school and work, let the Spirit bring you the harmony you need. Let it start with prayer and grow by the Spirit so you can truly have everything you've ever needed. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.